Welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast, helping you invest well, understand money and achieve the best tax outcomes. Your hosts today are Andrew Sykes, Chris Oates and Young Han. Hey everybody and welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast where we talk about your money, how to protect, create and save. My name's Andrew and I'm joined here today by Young. Hello everyone. And Chris. Hello everyone. Well, welcome to the new year, everyone, and uh, it's time to talk about how we get over our financial hangover from the new year, all that Christmas spending and good cheer. So today we're going to have a bit of a chat about saving and budgeting and growing your wealth. And it's interesting because as an accountant, that's what we do. And sometimes to us, we think that saving's easier than we think. Um, and why is that? Because sometimes it's just about a bit of discipline and following a few rules. So we're going to talk through some ideas on that, what some of those rules are, what some of the big ideas behind budgeting, saving and investing are, and give you some tips that you can use for your own personal financial situation. So Chris, saving is easier than making money. What, what does that mean? Well, you hit the nail on the head really, Andrew, with it's if you're disciplined and you can stick to, I guess, a process of putting money aside, it's a lot easier than trying to to find something that's going to make you a lot of money. So there's plenty of, if you Google budgeting techniques and rules, there's there's plenty of them out there. But the key thing is finding something that is that suits you and that you can stick to, that you'll follow. Um, an example of a rule is, they call it the 50-30-20 rule, like, if you have 50% of your money coming in, then that can pay for all your your needs, so everything you have to, your mortgage, your rent, your phone bill, that sort of stuff. And then 30% can be what you want to do. So it might be going out for dinner, going to the movies, going on holidays. But the key part of it is that extra 20% of your income. Do something with that as soon as you get paid rather than actually waiting till just before the next pay and seeing what's left over. So Exactly right. Because for me, I've got a two young kids. Um, my both husband and myself work and we're trying to, you know, build our wealth. And at the same time, we don't want to be living by the budget and how much I can spend for the week. But it is important. As soon as you get the money, when you get paid, just split that into our savings account. I'd even ask my payroll officer to actually split the 20% into the other account that I don't see. And the rest comes to my bank account so that I can I can pay things with that money only. Yeah, and I reckon there's a, a way I like to think about that is to pay myself first. So before I pay any bills, so if I've got a certain amount of income coming in, to put 10 or 20% of it away before I even look at spending. I think it's one of the things I've I've learned over a, a lifetime is that uh, I was a I was a poor student, no money, paying my way through uni, and could live on nothing, and uh, spend days without actually spending any money. Um, lifestyle tends to expand into your income, so if you take it out of your income first, then you've got a chance of saving it and not spending it. It's amazing if some you get a pay rise. It doesn't stick in the bank account if you don't do something with it, it's gone. <laughs> you just change your lifestyle. That's right. You get, a, you, get a, you get a good pay rise and you wonder why you've still got no money. <laughs> so so first, first tip from today is take it out first. Pay yourself first before you pay anyone else and be really disciplined about it. So stick that 10 or 20% away 
and and don't spend it. Eventually, then, you won't see it. You'll you'll forget about it. You won't even notice it. That's right. And then the other thing is another strategy you can use is to put them spare money into the offset account rather than putting in the normal account, paying interest and tax on it, because what it helps is that it will reduce your mortgage payment, the interest that you pay on the mortgage. Yeah. So say so you think where interest rates are, they're so low. Your savings account, you get next to nothing for it. At least on if you're on your mortgage and you're paying 3% interest rate, if you sit it in an offset account next to your mortgage, you're not going to pay interest at 3%. So you're saving more than you can actually make. So how does an offset account work? So it's basically another bank account that you have sitting there. But what actually happens is instead of you putting money and paying off your mortgage, you can put it in this bank account and you don't pay interest on the portion of that mortgage. For example, if you have... $10,000 in an offset account and your your mortgage is $100,000, you'll only pay interest on 90000 of it. And that works really well because you're saving interest, which means you don't pay tax on it because it's not income. Not only that, also it gives you that comfort that if something happens, there's a money I can access. That, then that's why I like it about it because I it's it not only saving me the money to, on my um, mortgage interest, but I know that there is a capital that I can jump into if there's something happens to kids or anything like that. There's emergency money that I can access. And and mortgage interest rates are ten times higher than what you'll get on a term deposit, aren't they? Exactly. That's right. So you're going to get a much better return in a tax effective manner. So everybody should have an offset account if they have a mortgage. Yep. Definitely. And even if you just deposit your wage into that and then draw your wage out of that, you're going to get some benefit while you've got money in there, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I don't think we get – do we actually get paid interest anymore on nah, – <laughs> almost nothing. I think I've got like a 50 cents. Well, it depends how much you have in the bank account, but, yeah, it's, it's hurting all. people. It's so. hurt. Yeah, it is. Uh, those who are relying on interest. And I think that goes to – if we are going to save, I mean – while we're not giving financial advice on this podcast, investing in a class of assets, different classes of assets, we should spread it around, shouldn't we? That's that's exactly right. And people worry about um, markets not unstable, and especially with the property market at the moment, it's going up and down, and no one knows what's going to happen next <laughs> next year. And so, but there is a rule of seventy two. What, okay, Chris? Can you just explain what that actually means? Yeah. So. Basically, it, it determines how long it takes to double your money. So the rule of 72 is, use an example, if you could invest in something that's going to give you a 10% per year return, you divide the number 72 by your what you're going to get as a return, so 10%, and then that tells you the time that it's going to take. So 72 divided by 10, 7.2, so it will take you 7.2 years to double your money. So if I wanted to double my money... Um, 72 divided by five, it's going to mean that it's going to take me, what, 14, 14 years to years. double my money. Yes. Yep. Yep. So yep. it's just, uh, it's quite a simple way to, to look at it because you're not going to double your wealth overnight. No. So it's putting it into perspective of when you invest, it's all about the risk that you, you're willing to take to get to where you want to be. If you're not comfortable with risk, it'll just take you a bit longer. Mm. If you take on more risk, your money might go down by a lot more, but 
it'll take you a shorter time if you do get that average return. It's an interesting um, topic and I was talking to Andrew the other day and he was saying that property market was harder to get into in back in old days, you said, compared to the salary they were getting. Uh, th- that's from some RBA stats that were uh, unfortunately released about two years ago. I think it's probably a bit harder with the 30% increase we've seen over the last 12 <laughs> months. It's, it's not getting easier. But as a proportion, a couple of years ago, even though we'd seen substantial price rises, as a proportion of household incomes, it was actually lower than it was 20 years ago. It, it's interesting we talk about the rule of 72. The rule in real estate for years was that property prices double every seven years. Mm. So we do see that, um, yeah. Not anymore. If it's yeah. going to double from now on, there's nobody who's going to get about, a house. It's about a 10, so that's about a 10% return. Yep. So if we're going to double every year, and if we do, and we encourage our, our clients and people who listen to the podcast, do your own research, and in particular, go to go to things like the Bureau of Statistics, go to the RBA, go to real sources of uh, facts. And if you look at the, the RBA, you look at some of their research, that's Reserve Bank of Australia, they'll show you that over the long term, so over 20 or 30 years, the share market sort of goes up by about 85 to 9% on average. Property market, about the same. Yep. And I think that goes into our second tip is about you put it into an investment portfolio in a different class of investment, but hold it for the long term. Because you trying to um, risk to, for mistiming the market, it's going to expose you to the bigger risk and you won't be able to get much out of it. That's right. It's So doing a regular investment but then doing it for a long time. So it's really the power of compound interest. So getting interest on the interest that you've already earned. And so if you sort of thought, well, where we talked about putting 10 20% away, if you put half of that into like an offset account and then in, invested half of that into something, buying in regularly takes a lot of the risk of missed time in the market. So you look at the, the share market, the property market at the moment, if you go in, if they're high, there's a risk that you might miss time it. Or if you're buying a particular share, that it could go down just after you've gone in. The regular investment in property is probably a bit harder. Mm. Just no, not too many people get that sort of regular income once a month, go and buy a property. Um, but with particularly with shares, if you bought into your portfolio, let's say you had $1,000 a month to put into it, you could actually grow that. You, over, you put $12,000 in over the year, you'll buy some when it's high, some when it's low. But over that, if it's over 20 years, for example, $1,000 initial deposit, put $100 a month in, do that for 20 years. Over 20 years, you've only invested 24000 mm. but the interest you will get would be about, could be 39 so that's based on an 8% return as we were talking with the share market. So, so that's $1,000 in, $100 a month, as small yep. as that. And where's that going to get me after that 20 years? So you'd have around sort of $64,000, $65,000 over that time. So the interest you would earn by putting the regular money in and investing over time would be more than what you put into it. I reckon there's there's two lessons in that for me. And, and particularly if we have a look at micro-saving type uh, platforms, um, Raise, for example, is one that I know a lot of people use. Micro-saving platforms are great. 
it's never too small an amount to invest regularly, as long as you're starting with with some amount. Something. Something. Yep. Get it started. I think that's yes. the key for everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a saving or your health or gym or whatever that might be. Get it started. That's the key point. You're guaranteed not to get there if you don't start. Exactly. And the other lesson for me is that old saying that it's it's about time in the market, not timing the market. Mm, that's 100%. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've just, uh, you guys might not know, but I've just done my 20 years with RSM. And I will say throughout that entire 20-year period, I've been asked, should I buy property because the market's expensive? I've never bought a cheap property. It's always expensive. It's always high. But over time, it seems cheaper. Yep. That's right. And that's across most markets that mm. that does happen. And I think there's another thing that I wanted to explore is about utilising your super. So if you are really keen investors and you have enough um, money in the super, you could look into doing the investment in the super. So you have your control about your portfolio, what to buy and sell, but that's kind of force you to not to access anything, do crazy thing because you're not allowed to touch it until you yeah. retire. Well, employees have a regular savings plan with their super. If your employer is paying money into your super, they're doing it every time you get paid. So while you don't think you've got a regular plan, there's actually one already happening. So you sort of think of it's the same concept, whether your employer is doing it or you do it yourself. And super, if you can build it up, the purpose is there to provide money for your retirement. It's a tax-effective scheme but you just need to make sure because once it goes into super, you do lose Yeah, so that's why it. you kind of work with the client to see what is your priority right now because, yes, it's a guarantee for the retirement, but it's the money that you can't access right now. No, but if we go back to our conversation before, even if we just put a little bit extra away, if we do that over a long term, and particularly someone younger, they're starting their working career, they're in their, their early 20s, a little bit extra over 30 or 40 years can make a huge difference. Here we go. When you get a pay raise, put 5% into super. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad idea. But then what do we do? And it's uh, in in an age of debt, it's really interesting. I reckon we should use more cash. You guys agree? Pay cash if you can, don't borrow. I think it depends what you are doing. So like for, there's a hot topic about car. So should I buy car with the cash or should I buy car with the HB or lease, whatever that might be. I think it depends what you are doing. So if you are the business owners, of course, you go into the HB and buy it because you don't need to pay that right now, but you get all the benefit of GSD and tax reduction and all that kind of thing. But if you are the just individual household and you just use the car to commute, why would you want to spend that much money just to getting a loan to get a car? Because business owners are going to use that car to make money or that vehicle. That, that will they'll make money off it, where us as consumers, we're, that car is going to lose value, isn't it? It's, over it's time. depreciating over time. It doesn't go anything better. You just it's the money that's spent, and you're not going to get a return on it. And if you've borrowed, and then something changes, and you need to sell that car, there's a risk that your loan amount might actually end up being more than the car that you do do have. So, if you do have cash, and then it it would be better if you're buying it personally. Yeah. And a a question I get asked quite often is, should I draw down on my home loan to buy a vehicle? So should I take a a loan for the vehicle or should I draw down on my home loan? Because the home loan has cheaper rates. And definitely not giving advice on this, but 
you're right. It is if you can get a three percent mortgage rate versus a six percent car loan, it's half the price for the for the loan. Yep, but still make sure you pay it off quick. Yes. So you don't end up paying your car <laughs> off over 30 years. That's right. Another thing was about spending it well, so your daily commitment or spending for what you want. Um, and you can still do things. Like you don't have to leave strict to the budget and then you say, I only can spend this much money for this week. I think you need to think about the experience, the outcome you want to get, and then find the the, you know, the best solution to address that need. So for me, it's like, you know, I have entertainment vouchers that I can, you know, dine out and then I can get like 25% off or if you wanted to have a pizza, you can go to those, you know, two pizza for Tuesday or something like that. There's a, there are little things that you can do for fun, not, not really use it as a Bible and strict your lifestyle. That's right. And expensive isn't always better. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but it's also if we said, okay, we're going to have some discipline, we're going to plan, we're going to work out what our weekly or, or fortnightly net pay is, and we're going to put aside 10% of that. That means I can go out if the money's in the bank, not in my savings account. So um, ideally, you, you want a structure where you're going to put that money aside somewhere else, you can't access it. And then you can go out and go out for dinner if the money's there in the account because you've done the hard work of the savings. And the last aspect of what we want to discuss today is about protection. So people often talk about life insurance and income protection and all this, you know, private health insurance even. Um, what's your view and what kind of advice do you give it to your client, Chris? So with, ins- with insurance, it's if you're putting a plan in place, you want to make sure it's protected and that if something changes in your life, if that that might be if your health changes, you have a serious health event, you don't want that to mean that all your hard work of savings has just been wiped out. So when we talk about it's, there's life insurance, there's total permanent disablement income protection insurance, they're all about you being able to sustain your income, sustain your, your wealth if your situation changes due to a, a health event. So it's really important to, you obviously pay premiums for insurance, so not being overinsured, but making sure that you're not detrimentally impacted if something out of your control does happen. Excellent. And a bunch of great tips there, guys. And to help us get our savings on, on track, quite often it's easier to save money than it is to make it. So that little bit of discipline can really help. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening today. This has been another episode of the RSM Talk Big podcast. Remember to subscribe to us on your favourite podcasting platform. Young, Chris, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Talk Big. Create, save and protect with RSM.